Hi, I'm Penny. And I'm Jo. And together we're... Unripe. We're two Australian women. Actually, I'm a Kiwi. And I'm Italian. We're on the other side of 40 and we've never had kids. We're not experts, we're just like you. We're trying to understand our place in the world to find a community of women who are childless by circumstance or child-free by choice. We're here to talk about IVF, being childless and single, childless and married or in a relationship, abortion, losing friends to motherhood and everything that people just don't talk about on these subjects. Who knew how hard it could be to find a group to talk about this stuff? We are a tribe hidden in plain sight. So we're going to talk about it all. The good. The bad. The freedom. The loneliness. The judgment. And the possibilities when you're a childless woman. We want to make these conversations part of the mainstream. We invite you to join us. We apologise for this interruption to our usual programming format. In breaking news, Unripe has spoken to Jodie Day, patron saint of childlessness, author of Living the Life Unexpected, founder of Gateway Woman. Therefore, in this episode, we bring you more Jodie. We will return to normal programming in our next release. Please enjoy this special episode brought to you by Unripe, especially for you. Hi, Joe. Penny. Welcome back for another episode of Unripe. A special episode, actually. It actually hey. is. I tell you what, this is a big fangirl moment for me. We have got Jodie Day with us today. And I did actually share with her that I was a massive fangirl for her. Um, I And I also shared that it was the first time that I ever went to Google. Um, I know Joe's talked about Googling how to... What was it? What was your purpose in life? life what's yeah, my life purpose? Yeah, what's yeah. your life purpose? Me, I Googled what, who could I relate to? And it was Jodie Day. So early on in my experience with what I found out about stuff online, Jodie Day came up. So it was massive for me to be able to have the conversation with her. Jodie, for people who don't know, because there will be a lot of people who don't know, she is the founder of Gateway Women. Way before that, she used to write a blog and one of the first articles that she wrote was then picked up by The Guardian and they ran with it. Actually, the very first blog. Can you believe? That's incredible. And she said that she was overwhelmed with the number of women who responded to her saying, you have spoken the words that exactly how I felt. Yeah. yeah. And that was in 2012 when she started her blog. She then went on to do many things. She wrote a book uh, which was called Rockin' the Life Unexpected. Jodie Day, the patron saint of childlessness. <laughs> but I think it's a, a great way to be able to explain Jodie because pre-2012, she had a load of people who came and reached out to her, but no one had been a spokesperson and was very visible in the public on this topic. And Jodie really became that person. Yeah, Jodie really has been the woman who has really brought a lot of this to the forefront. You've got some experience or have joined just, Gateway? I actually just joined Gateway. So the idea of Gateway is for it's for women who are childless by circumstance and who are no longer trying actively. So later on, as it progressed with Gateway, uh, Jodie was actually asked to do a TED Talk. Now, I did watch this early on and was completely, like before I I met you, Joe, kind of back maybe a a year and a half ago when I was looking for things and I sort of said, I found Jodie and then I found this TED Talk and I was blown away because I thought, 
I'm listening to all of those things that she covers. Now, I was super moved by it and 100% related to what she was saying. I was like, oh my God, I want more. Like, this is exactly what I'm going through. Absolutely fantastic to see it being done on a TED Talk. And back in 2013, uh, Jodie was also honoured by the BBC's 100 Women. So so they did this series and it focused on women in, in all industries. Like there were women in politics. Helen Clark was obviously one I knew. Media, sports, like there was this incredible ballerina. There were scientists. There were women in education, the church, everything. Do you know what the timing of this, though, for her to be listed and have BBC identify her a year after this blog was written and then shared with by the guardian and then in 2013 she gets a a story about her by the bbc this is a phenomenal you know woman who has been able to speak so eloquently for the childless woman and now here's jody hello joe hello penny i was trying to explain to my mum because it's a good example i was like we're so excited. We've got Jodie Day coming in. You know, we're going to have this conversation with her this weekend. And she's like, oh, so who's Jodie Day? You've previously been described as the stateswoman of childlessness. <laughs> and then someone had said that you are the patron saint of childlessness. <laughs> and I thought, that's it. That's how I describe you going forward. You are the patron saint of childlessness. I went, that's perfect. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Uh, not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> How did you decide that you needed to start a community? Um, like so many things, kind of by accident uh, and also by need. I mean, I it was 2010 or 2009 when I kind of came out of denial about my childlessness. Um, I was childless for a, a lot. Of, a lot of the reasons for childlessness are part of my story. So infertility, circumstance, ambivalence, it's all mixed in in my story. But after I got divorced at sort of 39, I still thought I had time to sort of meet someone and do IVF. That's as much as I knew about it, apart from the fact that it always works, because that's all I ever saw. Not true, by the way, if anyone's listening. Asterix, not true, fails 75% of the time. With older women, women over 40, kind of 98% of the time, just so you know. So I came out of denial about my childlessness at 44 and a half, really late. I was really hanging on in there. Although I'd sort of been grieving for a few years without really knowing what was going on. So it's like there was part of my unconscious was coming to terms with it, or rather accepting it. And part of it was just not having any of it. And there came a moment when the kind of this is really your reality kind of came home to me. Um, when my sort of second and most serious post-divorce relationship broke up and I thought, okay, that's it. And then I spent two years trying to talk about it to friends, trying to talk about it to therapists, trying to talk about it to anyone who would listen. And nobody would listen. All I would get back are what I later came to uh, learn from the child-free community are what's called bingos, which are these repetitive knee-jerk responses that you can even pay to get from therapists. You know, well, you know, if you'd really wanted a child, you would have tried harder. You would have had one of your own. Why didn't you just adopt? Children aren't all they're cracked up to be. Here, have one of mine. You dodged a bullet. Repeat, you know, and watch my TED Talk for those who haven't watched it, where I go in front of them. And I kind of was really silenced. And also, I'm, I'm quite young looking for my age. 
Um, and people were always telling me, I, you know, I still had time, you know, I was like 45 and I'm like, I'm not really coming. I'm not really trying to talk about hope. I'm trying mm. to talk about what it's like after hope. And I discovered that nobody would let me talk about it. So I, I, you know, I was really struggling, really, really struggling and felt increasingly alienated from the world around me. So I was kind of 45 at that time. I was born in 1964. So I'm part of the British cohort where actually one in four of us are childless. I didn't know that, but I didn't know any of them. And I don't know where they are. You know, I mean, I do now, <laughs> but a couple of years before I started the, the my blog, I was kind of writing about it on a personal blog, and I was gra- and I was writing about a lot of other things as well. I started my training to become a psychotherapist, and then I just thought, actually, I'm going to start a blog just about this. And because no one, and that was so the first blog for Gateway Women was April 2011. So that's that'll be a decade ago next April, and within a day, I got my first piece of PR within and comments started coming in from all over the world from women um, saying how do you know the exact words in my head I thought I was the only person having these thoughts and I sat on my desk on my own in my flat in London just with tears running down my face because finally I knew that I wasn't alone in these thoughts and feelings and so that was the beginning of Gateway Women so it started as a, uh, a collection of voices you know, I was blogging, they were commenting. Through that, I got to meet other bloggers. Um, nearly all of the bloggers were, well, actually, pretty much all of the bloggers at that time were women who had come out of infertility without uh, and treatment without a baby. But women who were childless for the very many reasons you can be childless were still kind of absent from the space. And to a large extent, they still are. Childlessness by circumstance, which accounts for 80, 80% of women who reach midlife without children, is still massively under the radar, um, both within the childless community and in the general population. So it started as a conversation. As Jodie says, 10 years ago, when she started her blog, she didn't know where her tribe were. As soon as she started, though, sharing her story, they came out. And at Unripe, we're finding the same thing happening now, a decade later. And even young women in their 20s and 30s still feel alone when it comes to sharing their childless stories. And that's where Gateway Women was formed. Um, Like everything with Gateway Women, it was just an experiment. I describe myself as a social entrepreneur. And I've always worked in the entrepreneurial environment. So it comes very naturally to me to just kind of have a go at that. And I'm quite, I'm quite geeky. You know, I have a sort of an unusual mix of skills, you know, a geeky psychotherapist and writer. And so I, um, Google had just launched its, um, its groups at that time. And I thought, okay, I'll just see. And I created an online community, uh, actually, whilst avoiding a family Christmas in 2012. And <laughs> Fair, I've been there. Fair call. Yeah, I just got to go and do some work in my, you know, <laughs> um, uh, just, I created a community. And it just grew really, really quickly. So at first, it was kind of almost like an extension of the kinds of conversations we were having on the blog. And it was a space to do that, which was not public. Because I I never wanted to create a group or a community on Facebook because I think I was a little bit ahead of the curve in my kind of, hmm, Facebook. You know, I consider Facebook when you're grieving your childlessness as actually as a form of self-harm for a lot of childless women. So a lot of childless women 
uh, you know, need to get off Facebook for their grieving journey, or at least learn how to control it so it's not constantly triggering them. So women kind of flocked to this new space. And it quickly became quite overwhelming, you know, to sort of manage it. Because one of the things I did from the very beginning was I did a kind of ID check on everyone who joined. So there was this sense of safety. And I've discovered it's been necessary to do that with all areas of Gateway Women because it's interesting. Sometimes people just join these things out of curiosity and sometimes worse. Um, So, you know, creating a really safe space, which is something that's really important to me, is something I did. And that had a very powerful effect. And I guess because I spent a lot of time in 12-step groups, my marriage broke down because of my then husband's um, addiction issues and my, you know, I have to also take responsibility for my codependency issues. You know, we were a perfect little match pair there. So I knew how to hold a safe space. And I kind of really brought that into the new baby gateway women community. And it grew and it grew and it grew. There were lots of sort of spin-off groups. We have like 35 subgroups within, you know, all within our community. You know, we can host Zoom meetups. We have cafes. We have all kinds of things happening within our community and it is absolutely it's just going through the roof so you know we have like a childless stepmother's subgroup we have a childless christian subgroup we have a healing from trauma subgroup so it's like where and also we have something which is very dear to my heart kind of for the stage where i'm at which is called nomo tribe and nomo tribe used to be a separate group and it's now part of this and nomo tribe is for those women who are i describe it through the storm of grief and embracing the life unexpected. So that's for women who are really on, well, okay, I'm feeling okay about my childlessness now. And now what? But also, you can still have griefy days and griefy moments, you can still be sideswiped by grief. But on the whole, your psyche isn't taken over by the process anymore of coming to terms with this. It's like, it's become your reality. It's become your normal. Your childlessness is a lifelong life course thing it's it's not an illness you get over I will always be childless and there are there will be things that that I don't experience in life because of that but it doesn't mean it's a lesser life or a worse life it's a different life there's an awful lot of compassion and wisdom in there which is incredibly important because a lot of women arrive it takes huge courage um, to kind of face up to your own childlessness, and then to come into something and start being open about it. And you said, you know, you're meeting a lot of younger women, millennials, who are having that same experience of having had nowhere to talk about it. And to come into a safe space and be met with with love, compassion, kindness, humour, to meet role models who are further on than you, who can inspire you to meet other women who are at the same stage as you. It's it's an incredible, I'm so proud of it. It's an incredibly empowering space. And over the years, I I guess it's been weird for me because I have created it to reflect me and my values. And that's become like the culture of gateway women. And now I see other, you know, members learn from me and from each other. Those those values of kind of kindness and inclusivity and compassion and self-compassion. What a wonderful achievement. It is. I'm pretty proud of it, actually. Yeah, I'm proud of every single member. It's amazing to what some members have been in there like since the beginning. Since 2012. How many members do you have? At the moment, we're about 700, um, but we're going through a, a big period of growth, um, especially with um, you know having these incredibly dynamic subgroups, which then get led by members, um, which are very powerful. I mean, one of them, the strongest ones, is actually called Single Life, which is for our single and childless members, because that carries an extra layer of stigma and 
sometimes it's an area that that women who are coupled can unintentionally bingo. So, you know, when a, a woman who is single and childless kind of tries to talk about her struggles, it's not uncommon that someone with a partner might say, well, having a partner isn't all it's cracked up to be, you know, you know, when in actual fact, that's the same as a childless woman saying, I'm really struggling with my childless, and a parent saying, well, children aren't all they're cracked up to be. It's like, it's not empathy, but because because we're under the patriarchy, being partnered is also more valued than being unpartnered. There are these internalized sexist uh, beliefs that, that we carry that we have to rootle out of ourselves. Until I became single when I got divorced at 38, I had been in sort of long-term relationships really since I was 15. I was devastated by how people treated me as a single and childless middle-aged woman. It totally blindsided me. I had no idea that how much of my inverted commas, making air quotes here, status in society was actually connected to being partnered. And, and being, and it's not a huge amount of difference, a little bit of difference between being partnered and married, but compared to the difference between that and how people view you if you're single, it's kind of not really worth the distinction. I thought that, that my, the status was my status. I discovered that actually it was his status that was conferred upon me because we were married. And once I became an unmarried middle-aged woman, I was like social plankton. You know, I, I mean, I used to joke that, um, you know, the last invitation I got was, you know, to a dental checkup. You know, it completely, you know, my social life completely and totally dried up. It's just that the, the assumptions people made about me and I was I was single for six years. I've been with my my partner for four years now, but those were probably six of the most powerful years of my life, um, th- those single years and really opened my eyes. I think it, it kind of re-radicalized me as as a feminist as well because I think I went to sleep in my marriage you know I met my I met my then husband when I was 21 we started dating when I was 22 you know I was with him till I was you know nearly 38 it's like and I went to sleep you know I went to a I went into a pronatalist patriarchal sleep and those single years really woke me up and and like you Penny I am determined never to forget what that feels like and to be a voice for my my single members and my partnered members. I said it before, childlessness is a feminist issue. What does that mean? Well, just like parenting falls largely on the shoulders of women, so too does fertility. If we try to get pregnant and don't, it's us women who are back at the doctor. We take the hormones, we take our temperatures, we think about our periods. Childlessness and fertility are seen as a female problem, even though medically infertility is equally shared between men and women. Yes, childlessness is seen as a female problem. Infertility is a female problem. Even though within the medical world of infertility, you know, 30% of um, fertility is a female issue, 30% is a male issue, and the rest is unexplained. It's very much both, you know, both sexes have to deal with fertility issues, but yet it's still always seen as a female problem. And childlessness by circumstance is seen as a female problem. Again, particularly if singleness is involved. Oh, she's too picky. You know, oh, she did. It's all about her behaviors. It's never seen that actually we're living through an extraordinary moment in our social history where the choices available to men and women have changed so much that actually, you know, a lot of these these decisions are taking place later in life, which can lead to kind of infertility amongst couples. 
but also we're not living in Jane Austen times anymore. A woman doesn't have to get married at 21 in order to not have to become a governess or a prostitute or throw herself, you know, um, under a horse cart. You know, it's like we can earn our own livings and actually we are required. Having a job is no longer optional. You know, so we're st- we've got this really old patriarchal pronatalist ideology running through our unconscious and our collective unconscious in a modern world where so many places it doesn't fit the reality of modern women's lives. Do you think that part of the reason why fertility is never an issue that's dropped on men is because essentially, for the most part, a man can keep getting a woman knocked up till the day he dies at, at 105? That's actually a myth. Male fertility declines um, at the same rate as female de- wow. female fertility. Uh, not quite as dramatically, not quite as early, but it does it does happen. A lot of men over fifty are not able uh, to have children anymore. The outliers, like sort of Charlie Chaplin or Rod Stewart, you know, these are outliers. The reason, you know, they're they're kind of miracles and they're in the news is because actually it's really unusual. One of the reasons also um, for the very high rate of devastating miscarriage in women in their 40s is because their husbands are in their 40s or 50s. If you want to um, donate your sperm to a fertility clinic, they're not going to take it from you after the age of kind of 30. I've been schooled. I had no idea. Thank you. I know, but it's a very potent myth, which also takes away the grief of men. Because if if a man is trying to talk about his sadness at not being, you know, not having children, he'll be told, oh, don't worry, mate, you can still have them. Well, actually, he probably can't. Or if he did, because his sperm is becoming, um, the chromosomes within it are starting to, you know, degrade, they're more likely to lead to um, a miscarriage. So he might be able to get his female partner pregnant, but that might not be a viable pregnancy. It's, it's, a, it's a potent fertility myth that, you know, some men can, but most of them can't. I have done a lot of reading and and listening and watching of things since we've started this this project, and I have become very aware of just how much this impacts men as well through the grief stories that I have read and listened to. And there's some quite prominent men in the UK who speak to this. Is it Robin Hadley? Robin Hadley, my friend. Yeah, Robin Hadley. He's wonderful. He speaks so, so eloquently about it. Um, And he's great to listen to. But I do see that there is a, a, a very big gap. You know, we talk about how we're not seen but I think men have got another level on this one um, on not mm. not being heard. And particularly because of what we now learnt as a potent myth that they are still able to have children. It sounds also that because of the patriarchy, because of that that level of masculinity that, that is still taught to boys and men, it would be a subject that would be very difficult for men to, to broach because, you know, there's so much tied into their sperm. And they're also, you know, um, sort of classically conditioned men are also conditioned that showing vulnerability is a weakness. And so they're conditioned not to talk about these things and even sort of not to feel them, even to deny them to themselves. Mm. My experience over the years of getting to know and working with childless women has often been, I've often seen a pattern happen, and I write about it in my book, where as the woman, you know, this is in a heterosexual couple, as the woman starts to get some relief from her grief and has the support, the gateway women community or me or coming to a workshop, 
and she and she starts to feel a little bit better. This is often the moment that her male partner starts to kind of fall apart because it's unconsciously he's been holding his grief back in order to be strong for her. And when he sees her getting some support, he can just fall apart. And this can be very destabilizing within the partnership because the woman can say to him, you know, I've been on the floor for six years. And you've been out, you know, with your mates and going to work and seeming, you know, you've been fine. And now I'm ready to kind of re-engage with the world. And you're a mess. You know, what is going, where was all of this? When I needed to see your feelings, I felt so alone in my grief. And this is a very common pattern. You know, men need, they also need a different kind of support than an organization which is run by a woman, which is centered on women's needs can offer. It needs to be a male-led and a male-centered thing, which is why I so support Robin Hadley's work and also my colleague, Michael Hughes in Australia, married and childless. So now he has an amazing Facebook group. So we've learned a little more about male sperm and now another community, gay and lesbians. I recently heard a queer woman talk about how she felt forgotten by the childless community as though, well, if you don't have any sperm around, then that's just your lot. Well, it's 2020 and things aren't that cut and dry. Lesbians face exactly what heterosexual women do. The hormones, the ticking clock, in inverted commas, and, well, the desire to be a parent. Shock horror, um, gay, lesbian and bisexual women are women. They have exactly the same desire to partner and have families as the rest of us. And I think it's really, it's a sign of the homophobia, the sexism and the pronatalism in our society that because they... um, their sexuality is different, it is not at the service of men, um, that they're somehow not real women. And therefore, because they're not in inverted commas real women, they won't have this desire to have a family. In the same way that sort of women who choose, you know, child-free women are somehow seen as kind of not quite real women because of that choice. This is all underpinned by the unconscious condition of pronatalism. Gateway Women has a private subgroup, our LGBTQIA plus subgroup, which is centered um, on women who identify with those sexualities and run by them. They are othered in the discourse around childlessness. They are never mentioned. And to be childless, not by choice, either by circumstance or infertility, when you're a lesbian or gay or bisexual woman, is just as painful. Also, the othering within their own communities. I mean, within the lesbian community, to use a very sort of bald term, you know, it can be just as hard to be childless within that community, in all of the sense of being different from your peers, and being left out of things and being seen as different, is is just as, you know, it's just as difficult with its own flavour. But the other, you know, but the othering of people with diverse sexualities is used to go, oh, well, it won't be as bad for them. It's another bingo. It's another bingo. In the decades since Jodie started her blog, the childless and child-free community has really gained its voice. There's the Gateway Community platform, of course, and World Childless Week, and private Facebook groups like the Unripe One, where women are getting together with our sisters to talk about our frustrations, our pain, our grief, as well as our joys. Jodie reminds us, however, that there's still a way to go. I'm proud to say that I I think our voices are getting stronger. Um, World Childless Week, which is an amazing initiative to bring us all together, is really starting to amplify our voices around the world and bring us together. It still shocks and saddens me that the, uh, the therapeutic profession and the medical profession are so slow to catch on to this. There are all of the organizations and initiatives like Gateway Women and like yours 
are all self-funded and self-directed. There is no uh, charitable, governmental or kind of donated support. Definitely the voices are getting louder. And I agree with you that the millennial generation, the generation that has grown up um, being much more open about their private lives, are definitely making a louder noise. I've also seen a big increase in uh, what I what, what's called social infertility. So in terms of the number of women joining my community, there are many, many more now who are childless because they, um, they don't have a partner or their partner doesn't want children or their partner has already had children. And I'm really seeing a huge increase in that. I also think that of the millennial generation and the generation, yeah, the millennial generation more or less, um, I'm seeing a big increase in awareness around the ethics, around bringing a child into a world-facing climate breakdown. So I think in the next generation, we're going to see much more voluntary childlessness, what's called child-free, but not not in a kind of, oh, yeah, I'm just so great, I don't want to have kids, blah, 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 but actually taking a really ethical and painful personal choice which to me is a form of childlessness, but it, you know, it's, it's complicated. The idea that there's this dichotomy, childless and child-free, is not borne out by my experience. The many women I've spoken to, many of us sort of exist somewhere on that spectrum and it moves. I would say that in, in my sensibility now, I'm probably what's called adapted child-free, as in I feel as at peace with my childlessness as I would imagine I would feel if I had chosen it. However, I'll, I can't live both those lives, so I can't compare them. But it is, it is not a painful identity for me anymore to be childless. And I wish there was less shame, but I'm still seeing just gallons and gallons of women coming into this space, feeling so much personal shame. And that breaks my heart. I can't believe that that is still something that women are facing in our society. I'm shocked by it. Okay, this is uh, an amazing book written by a Melbourne author called She I Dare Not Name, A Spinster's Meditations on Life. It's by Donna, Donna Ward. came out in March this year. I interviewed her on my blog. Um, this is an astonishing book about living a life as an, uh, an unmarried and childless woman, both of them not by choice. She's now 65, which is also an absolute blast. She really speaks to what it is to, to, to live that experience in the Australian context. I highly, highly recommend this book. Joe here. The single childless experience isn't one that I've had, but I have had the married childless experience. I'm lucky not to have heard too many bingos over the years, but I know that people talk about me behind my back. I'm not being paranoid. I'm Sicilian. <laughs> Let me explain. When I was younger, there was a relative who, who was married and he and his wife didn't have kids for around 10 years. Of course, nobody said anything to them, but behind their back, it was all, oh, there must be something wrong with her. So of course I know that the same was said about me. It's cultural. I'll admit though, I could care less about what people say behind my back, but I'm really grateful never to have heard many bingos to my face. There are bingos and there are also in social occasions, I think, where your time is not considered yeah. as importantly as mm. a family with with children would be. Your, your status is definitely not, not as... Yeah. Um, I think you're not seen as a kind of fully grown up person. If you are partnered or married, there is a sense that you've ticked one of the big grown up boxes. 
And it's a, it's a really, really hot issue. And it's one that's really worth discussing. I've defined it as pronatalist privilege, that privilege, which is the privilege that the status that accrues to you because you are a parent, that gives you a more valuable voice in society. You only have to see hashtag as a mother, that is pronatalist privilege. <laughs> so so what, what my dog food? Is my opinion worth nothing? No, as a mother, I feel empathy. And I'm thinking, crikey, you had to give birth to feel it? What were you like before? <laughs> <laughs> well, as a mother, yeah. out, you know? We all carry privilege of various kinds, and it's about being prepared to have the hard conversations and do the research to understand where our blind spots are and where we might be walking on the feelings, sometimes of people very dear to us, you know, without realizing. And it's our responsibility to educate ourselves about what we don't know, educate ourselves about childless men, about the experience of our LGBT, you know, brothers and sisters, about childless, about women who are, for example, experiencing childlessness who themselves were adopted, or what the experience is like for women of faith or women of colour, which is another layer of experience. And all kinds of weird shit comes into play around the fertility, particularly of black women of African descent, because then there's a kind of an unconscious slavery rhetoric going on that black women are all incredibly fertile uh-huh. and they breed like rabbits and all kinds of horrible things that get placed on them. Childlessness is an intersectional experience within feminism. And it is going back to your conversation earlier about you know childlessness and feminism. Childlessness is completely absent in the feminist discourse. Child-free, choosing not to have children is in there. Uh, delaying motherhood in, you know, and, and care and motherhood and the experience of motherhood is in the feminist discourse. Childlessness is absent apart from one British academic called Dr. Gail Leatherby, who's written a few papers on it. Apart from that, uh, blind spot. And when you consider that, you know, one in, one in four or one in five or one in six, depending on your country, so an average of one in five women are reaching midlife without children in, in developed countries, and 90% of them, nine zero, are childless, not by choice, and 80% are childless by circumstance. For this to be missing from fourth wave feminism, it just shows how big the blind spot is. Pronatalism goes across everywhere in society. It goes across the medical profession. It goes across the, the therapy profession. I mean, when I was training to be a psychotherapist, we were 25, 24 of us women. There were three women without children in that group. One was child-free and two of us were childless. One was childless and silent about it, um, and there was me, <laughs> uh, no longer child, no longer silent about it. So I, I called out my colleagues on on various sort of you know pronatalist beliefs that they had, even though I didn't quite have the terminology yet. And I remember once there was um, one of our, I was training as a child and adolescent psychotherapist, and I faced a lot of prejudice that I w- I couldn't possibly understand children because I wasn't a mother. And one of our amazing, really, really compassionate teachers was also childless. And they they kind of were saying all these things in front of her. And I noticed that even she wasn't pushing back against it. And so I went to my, uh, my college principal and I was actually thinking of doing a PhD in this subject in basically pronatalism in the therapy room. You know, my, my college principal said, you know, this is, this is a huge problem. We're sort of seeing it all the time. You know, we didn't even get like a, 
a weekend's training on it. And I said, this needs to be part actually of the training. You know, you do diversity training. Childlessness is a diversity issue. We have to wake each other up about this. It has to be included in the diversity agenda in workplaces, in all kinds of training where we're going to be helping people. It's something I'm passionate about, but I'm only one woman and I can't do everything. And I'm, you know, I don't have time to do that PhD. You know, we, we don't have the resources to conduct those kinds of researches and those kind and and have those kinds of complex conversations and you need to be in a really good place when you do it because the you will immediately get pushed back with the pronatalist bingos are like really childless women does that really matter what, what, how, why, why should we care about that so you've got to be really well resourced emotionally practically these are the you talk about you know what is the future of kind of gateway women well the future of gateway women is i really want to kind of do more campaigning i want us to have a voice I want people to start seeing that, you know, we're here, we're not going away and we matter. And the way we're being treated is cruel. Jodi self-published her book, Rockin' the Life Unexpected, in 2013, thanks to a crowdfunding campaign through Gateway Community. But it wasn't long before she came to the attention of Pam McMillan. They republished her book with a new name, Living the Life Unexpected. They said, well, rocking the life unexpected, that sounds like a cradle. To me, it was like rocking the life unexpected. And they were like, mm. so that's when it became living the life unexpected. And the second edition is um, fully updated. All the stats are updated. You know, there's a lot of additional information in, in chapter four, which is people call it the grief chapter. And also chapter 12, which is very dear to my heart, which is all about aging without children, which is another area that as I move into that, into my young elderhood, at 56, currently 50s, I, I am an apprentice crone. So I'm also very interested in, in creating more resources going forward for those of us who are moving into the sort of the third act of life without grandchildren or the prospect of grandchildren in a society that only has one word for of respect for older women, which is grandmother. How do you create uh, a powerful, radical, conscious identity for yourself as an older childless woman? I was trying to find that thing that was just as important, air quotes. So if I'm not going to be a mother, what the hell am I going to do with my life that is going to be as significant? Did you experience that? Yes. And that can lead to, I call it the Mother Teresa syndrome, because it can lead to this idea that you have to do some extraordinary, enormous thing. And what helped me to deconstruct that was when I considered what I needed to put on the scales to kind of balance with motherhood. I mean, what I thought I was going to do, I was going to, this was while I was still grieving and I didn't really understand yet what was going on, was I was going to sell or give away all my possessions and I was going to move to Laos. I was going to uh, go and live in this monastery, um, an orphanage for children. And I was going to devote my life to these orphan children. And then when I died, I'd have this, um, I was going to be very thin I'd have these long gray plaits. Then when I died, I'd be on a sort of an amazing thing in the, in the Mekong Delta, covered in flowers, on flames, floating down the Mekong Delta. And I'd have this <laughs> tiny little passage in the South Sea China news about this extraordinary eccentric English woman who de- devoted her life to these children. And I kind of indulged this, this fantasy. And then one day I realized that actually I wasn't thinking about the orphans at all. <laughs> It's so specific, though. Highly narcissistic fantasy about me becoming this extraordinary woman of value in other people's eyes. When I kind of clocked that, I thought, if that's what I think I'd have to do with my life, to put on the scales against motherhood and see some balance, 
how overvalued in my mind and in society has the idea of motherhood become? And that was a real waking up point for me. Now, I'm not devaluing motherhood and I'm not devaluing the importance of mothers to children. I'm talking about the social status of motherhood. I didn't have the word pronatalism yet. I didn't know what it was I was getting a glimpse into, but it was a really important glimpse. And that's when I began to sort of question everything I felt about status and what it took to be a person of value and realized that actually I needed to value myself first most of all. What you do with your life without children is as unique. Each of us who is childless is as unique as a childless woman as we would have been as mothers. And some of us are going to want to do big, public, extraordinary things with our lives. And others are going to want to live quiet, peaceful, happy lives. You know, and and both are equally of value. We don't have anything to prove because we're not mothers because there's nothing wrong with not being a mother. We haven't done anything wrong. We are nothing wrong. We have nothing to be ashamed of. When you get that, then you realize actually what you do with your life is your business. So Jodie, what's next for you? The pandemic's over. It was just a dream. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a bad dream. Wow. Okay. Well, I look forward to being back in my adopted home of Ireland in West Cork, living by the sea. The question of of roots, of of connection, is uh, is deeply important and significant to childless women. I come from a a very small family. I sort of don't really have brothers and sisters. That's put all that in brackets. That's a complicated story. Just my mum, don't know my dad. So, and you know, no children. So I have this sense, I mean, during the worst of my grief, I felt like I could just float away and no one would even notice. I felt so disconnected from the earth. And I find I'm half Irish genetically. And for me, I have a, a feeling in Ireland of being in the presence of my indigenous roots, which feels uh, it's something that feels deeply, deeply precious to me because I've never felt it before. I actually ha- I feel something there I've never felt before. I'm really interested in my work with kind of elderhood around really going deep into sort of my ancestral lineage as well. I'm, I, I'm almost definitely descended from sort of witches um, and a very proud bunch, I'm sure they must be. But I'm really interested in going deeper with my work, um, creating workshops and resources around uh, perhaps creating a rite of passage uh, experience for childless menopausal women, because I think the experience of the menopause when you're childless, I call it a death you survive. You know, it is this feeling of the end of the line. My work may become more sacred in, in some ways, as well as more public in terms of public policy and um, education. I suppose I'm moving into my elderhood. It's that stage of life when you become you you become a teacher with a bit of luck, um, a wise elder. Wisdom is you pay a very high price for wisdom in life. So all the things that have hurt, all the things that have gone wrong, all the things that have broken our heart, that's what creates wisdom. So I really hope that in the last third of my life I can give some of that back. And just like Jody, I've been investigating my roots too in the last few years. I was born in Italy, in Sicily, and many of my family are still there. What's interesting to me, though, is that so many of the women in my family are not having children. Italy, like Ireland, uh, and like Spain, so three of the really strongest kind of traditional Catholic countries in Europe, all have one of the highest childlessness rates of one in four. What I've seen in Italy in particular is that a lot of it is that the, the women, you know, need to work. They become professionals. And really, there's still this very, very old 
macho kind of patriarchal way of being a wife and mother in Italy, which is very hard to, to marry with um, having, you know, having a career. And so a lot of um, a lot of young Italian women are going, well, they're having to make a choice and a lot of them can't afford to, you know, to give up their careers, but also they don't want to tolerate some of the really kind of antique prejudices that are still supported. I was an au pair in Rome when I was a, a wee little kitten. And um, my boyfriend, my Italian boyfriend from that time, we remained friends. And he uh, he got married and actually one of his children is, is my godson. I saw him as a very educated, progressive Italian man change into something I barely recognized when he got married. And he became his father, who he hated. He hated how oppressive his father was to his mother. There are things that are in, in all of our countries, things develop and change at different rates. And I think the women in Italy are on a fast track to modern life. But back to the future. Jody has big plans with Gateway Women and the workshops that now, well, almost thanks to the pandemic, are bigger and, well, global, like the Reignite weekends she facilitates. We've actually moved them online, um, our workshops, and uh, we had our first one a couple of weekends ago. And I was absolutely blown away um, by how powerful it was. I mean, I've been teaching an online program, like the Plan B Mentorship Program online for three years. So I know how much, you know, learning and growth you can have online. But the Reignite Weekend, which I've run like 40 times in person, so I really know what is possible on that weekend. It totally exceeded my expectations and the participants of the healing and growth. And it means that we can bring it to Australia again. So I think it's February 2021. We will be hosting it for the first time in Australia and also training um, one of our facilitators in Australia to, to lead it, who maybe you already know, Sarah, Sarah Roberts. And we're doing it in America as well. So we will go back to offering them in person. Jody, you identified for a long time as childless by circumstance, and then you made a reference that you now feel that you can identify as child-free, and you used an extra term on it. Adapted child-free. But also, I, I use the word childless uh, very consciously because I also, don't, I also want to show that I'm not ashamed to say that I'm childless. You know, I'm, I'm childless and I'm, I'm proud. But also, childless is part of my identity now. It is not who I am. It is something that has happened to me. You know, I'm Jodie. I'm, you know, I'm a writer. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a social entrepreneur. I'm a, you know, I'm a dog mum. I'm so many things. I'm also childless. It, it, it is not the most important thing about me. It is something about me. So I'm Jodie. I'm childless, but I'm so much more. Wow. That was impressive. I have to say that Jodie, she is a wealth of knowledge. Honestly, like there are so many topics within being childless and we've had lots of conversations about some of those things, but there's so much more depth to it that we have yet to to delve into that we had those kind of conversations with Jodie today. I feel like I've been sheltered from a lot of those things, you know, because I, I think we live in our own little bubble, right? And we're yeah. like, oh, okay, well, the way that uh, childlessness affects me is the way that childlessness affects a lot of people. And yeah. that's not true. I hadn't 
really thought about the whole concept of the crone. And I know, Joe, you picked, you definitely uh, picked up some things for, out of this conversation. Well, about men, the myth about men was that blew me away. I didn't know that sperm started to deteriorate. I just thought, oh, they're just millions of them and they just get in there and doesn't matter as long as you've got a young woman with a good uterus, you know, who wants to have your child as well. Uh, so that was one thing. The other thing was... Uh, the other thing was about, um, which is something that I related to her with because it was about the single childless experience and I s- want to speak to the the single childless because it is very different to being in a married relationship and having that, um, that status that we talked about um, earlier, that you don't have it and you get this whole extra layer that affects you, impacts you. And I think, you you know, you get the, you know, we talk about the bingos with childlessness. There's also the bingos. And I, you know, and as you brought up, I'm guilty of some of those bingos when it comes to single. You know, I'm sure that I've said to single girlfriends in the past, oh, just be grateful sometimes that you're single. Because seriously, um, having being in a relationship with a man can be a real pain in the ass, which is exactly what you hear from women with, with babies, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm guilty of saying those things. So really... What it opened up for me is this idea that my experience is not everybody's experience, okay? Um, Surprise. But also that the the experiences are very nuanced, you know, because I look at that and go, what's the problem? But it is a problem. And I think if if I was to identify, because we had that conversation, but I didn't really say what it was necessarily that you had said. And if I was to think of an example, I would say you very, very proudly share that you've been married for 25 years 20, I 26 26 okay Sorry. big thumbs up from <laughs> from Penny to Joe that I feel that I've missed out on a status by not having it and that that's like a a little bit of a a rub each time it's said yeah. like it's like well you you don't have this and it's it doesn't matter what your intention is behind it it's how I've felt yeah, when it's been said. Yeah. Because I haven't had that status, but I've felt all of the the negatives around being single and not having children, that your advantage with being married and not having to have experienced a lot of those other bingos, yeah. comments. Yeah, they are. They are bingos. Yeah. It's just a reminder that, yeah, okay, yeah, I know. So that's what it is but about. Yeah, but I yeah. think the more, again, you know, we keep saying this in every episode, we keep saying the more we talk about it, the more other people who don't understand someone else's experience can go, oh, that's a different experience from and mine. And that's what we're here for, right? Yeah. We want to make these conversations. We want to bring up some of the, the difficult conversations and make it that maybe this will make you think about having a conversation with someone else because, wow, some of these things that Jodie has shared with us today has made me think slightly differently about things. That was really terrific. So we're going to sign off now. We don't have a question of the week. We don't have shit that came up on my feed. We're really focusing on Jodie today. And Hey, but tell us if you miss it. Yeah. Because I think that we would love to know that that is something you look forward to at (laughs) the end of the episode. Absolutely. Because I tell you what, we really look forward to finding out what the next one is going to be. Because I always see things during the week and I go, wouldn't that make a great shit that comes up in the feed? Absolutely. All right, Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.
we'd like you to join us on our Facebook page, which is Unripe Community. And if you're childless or child-free, you're welcome to join our private group, which you'll find a link to on the Facebook page. We're also on Instagram as Unripe Community. If you want to share a story or let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about, please drop us an email at hellounripe at gmail.com. Our website is where you'll find out a bit more about us. Go to unripecommunity.com.au. We would love for you to leave a positive review for us on your favourite podcast platform. 